Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Heart of Sports. I'm Jason Springer, joined in studio by Jeff Ruppberg, Ryan Strauss, and Jeffrey Cohen. Back with you on 610 AM Sports ESPN Radio. Guys, one of my favorite times of year continues. It's Final Four weekend. We got the championship game coming up Monday night. We got the Philly season starting next week. Final rosters are being set. The Raiders are moving to Vegas. Uh, we got plenty to say about. Pretty excited about that one. I'm, I'm, you're gonna head, you're gonna head out to Vegas. <laughs> hey, to, whenever the Eagles are out there, I think we should all go. We, we will have plenty to say about that uh, later on in the show, and uh, and we can bet on it without having to do fantasy. We, you, you, although yeah. it could be a fantasy with the you, depending you, on you, you, you definitely can. And and the Raiders aren't the only ones moving, are they, Jeff? No, we're moving to Saturday. The Heart of Sports moves Saturday to Saturdays. 1 p.m. starting next Saturday, April 8th. So back up the moving truck. We will uh, join you all on Saturday afternoons at 1 o'clock to break down sports, talk about uh, the emotions and the agony and the fun of being a fan in this wonderful city. Uh, Jeff, uh, we'll talk Philly sports in a few with March Madness. Did you watch some of the games last weekend? Yes, I did. Had, had, I really enjoyed them. You know, but every game is the, really kind of the same. It's the last two minutes, just like they say in the NBA. Although, you know, it's one point, two points, it's really the last possession. I love the atmosphere as much as I love the basketball and college sports. I just love how much the fans get into it this time of year. Uh, I felt bad for uh, a team that you were rooting for, Wisconsin. Uh, I know you, you were pulling for them very late Friday night out in San Jose, for those of you who were able to stay up in overtime. What uh, a game that was. It was a very good game. Wisconsin hit a three-pointer to take it into overtime and then lost it on a three-point shot that was off balance, knocked them out of the tournament. It was a tough way to go down. Uh, Ryan, what have you watched? Did you expect South Carolina to come out of the East bracket? What else surprised you, maybe? No, I don't think anyone expected South Carolina. Uh, my pick Gonzaga has been playing really well. And, of course, Oregon, who had beaten Michigan, is now in the Final Four, too. Um, I haven't watched at quite as much as other years, but like Jeff said, the games that I have seen and that have been particularly close have been really, really exciting. Is it a lack of interest or just really busy? I, I'm always interested when people say that they don't watch something when they used to in the past. For I mean, I've watched less this year than in past years, but that's a product of I have less time with a newborn after work. So I, I kind of, you know, I it for me, it's not that I don't want to watch the basketball. It's just that I have less time. Just busy or the game's not appealing to you? Yeah, it's a combination of things. Uh, you know, the knockout format, I think, is really exciting. But if you don't have much of a rooting interest for the schools, then... Um, I think as I've grown older, I've come to see it as more gimmicky. I don't want to be such a Debbie Downer like I was with the draft. Wah, but wah. Yeah. I don't know. It's exciting so, for sure. So once Michigan was out, you were fine missing things. Yep. You didn't really care. Uh, Jeff Cohen, are, are you still – your Michigan is out. I apologize. Uh, are you still excited for the tournament watching everything? I am. I, I'm loving the tournament. The, pro, right. I, but the, the thing is, though, I love the first and second week. I love those Thursday and Friday afternoon games. It's just nice to be able to see sports in the afternoon. Yes. Especially at my age. Now I'm getting to the point where... You can't stay up at night yeah. to watch the games. <laughs> all, all I could tell you is the, the highlights from the Wisconsin game were great the next morning. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, you know, I, I had that complaint about the World Baseball Classic, about the time of the games being played. It's really hard when a West Coast game, you know, the, the Friday night game went into overtime with Wisconsin in San Jose, ended very late. It's hard to get younger fans involved with something like that. But we did see some of the bigger names go down this weekend. And we talked about last week, 
we thought that the ratings were up because there were a lot of big game, big names playing. What, were you surprised to see some of the, the big name schools not move on? Yeah, I was. I was really surprised to see a lot of those big name schools. And now we're going to be able to test to see whether or not the ratings go down because you have three schools that have either never been there before or the last time they were there was World War II. <laughs> so so it, it'll be interesting. That, that, that Kentucky ending was one of the best endings I've ever seen. When they hit they hit that three-pointer with seven seconds left with Malik Monk, who may end up on the Sixers, by the way. And you thought they were going to win it. Yep. Uh, well, it was well, tied they, at that you point. You thought they were going to overtime. Right, but you, and you thought the momentum would carry them, and then all of a sudden with .3 seconds left, mm-hmm. that guy makes a short jumper, and mm-hmm. it, it was incredible to see the end of that game. That was a clutch shot. I thought of uh, Bill Rafferty on commentary screaming onions. I mean, it was just a clutch shot back and forth in that game that's what you want to see from two powerhouse schools what you hope to see in the tourney jeff are you more or less likely to watch the final given who is there does that impact it for you Uh, no i I like i'll watch as much as i can i enjoy uh, the difference um between seeing it in the arenas versus the stadiums the difficulty shooting. I think, Ryan, you talked about that if, uh, when you went to the Michigan Final Four a few years ago. Jeff, did you go as well? I did too, and I, it's hard. It's really hard to the depth perception. I don't know what it's like for the players. They do complain about it, but it, it's a totally different view when you have that giant ceiling as opposed to having what you're used to having in a smaller basketball arena. Well, And the sound as well, it kind of goes up and out as opposed to staying on top of you in the smaller arena. Was that your experience, Ryan? Yeah, definitely. And I think also for the players, there's so much space behind the net and on the sidelines that even though you're playing in a 60,000-person arena, uh, from the perspective of being on the court, having sat or stood right behind the baseline for the national championship game, it just it almost wouldn't feel as big as it looks to a fan if you're on the court. That was my uh, take on that. Jeff, you had some notes on the ratings and everything, too, with it, right? Yes, but before we get there, I wanted to just say that's why I used to love the Palestra so much. I mean, it noisy. It was roaring in there. That's why I enjoyed McGonagall Hall. Okay. 4,000 yeah. seats. Uh, pack it in. It's a it's warm gym. There's yeah. nothing like that. I mean, it, and the more they move to the bigger arenas, it's, it's one of the things I, I un, like, I'm a branding and marketing person, and so... I pay attention to the fact that all the courts now have the same look and feel and logo. I used to like it when they had the local team's court that you were playing on and they were add like a different logo in the middle, but it was still the court so you knew where it was. Now it's like they put a little tiny logo in the corner huh. to let you know who the playing. I don't know who it was, but somebody I saw last week had a blue court. It was almost like the Smurf turf that the Boise State, <laughs> the Boise State yeah. plays on. I got, that would drive me nuts. I mean, I'm colorblind. I have a hard enough time seeing the regular <laughs> stuff. Before we get to the ratings, I just want to talk about the uh, uh, women's Final Four. So that's uh, Mississippi State and uh, South Carolina. UConn and Stanford. So You'll be who, rooting for UConn, right, Jeff? Uh, probably. Mm-hmm. Who's going to beat them? Who's, who could come wait, close? Wait, wait. This is breaking news. Are you going to root for UConn? Because now yes. the streak might be over. <laughs> Sean Kennedy may be having heart palpitations knowing that you are rooting for UConn now. Yes, well. <laughs> Let's hope that they don't suffer the Wisconsin fate. But you had Gonzaga, well, so it's one of two. Not too bad. The, the other thing is with, with UConn, and they've been beating people by 20 points. So... And and every and this these are playoff games. They weren't even supposed to be as good this year. They had younger players. It's next year that they're actually supposed to be really good. So if they can go through and continue this undefeated streak, I mean it's it's history what they're doing and they're changing like 
they're changing women's basketball in terms of the perception of it, the attention that's put on it. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, women's basketball, the Final Four, is much more of an event now uh, in terms of the publicity that it gets, and the ESPN will broadcast from the location mostly because they have the marketing rights to it. But. but but not the NIT, not the men's or the women's NIT. I can't get any information about that. It's like... I can give you a little information. <laughs> okay. I thought we were going to go without Michigan this week, but Michigan is in the finals of the NIT. Oh, good. That's good. What? <laughs> Michigan, the women, I guess. The women. Michigan women. Yeah, I going to okay. say. So I would not know that. And the, you had put, uh, when we were prepping for the show, you had said, you know, nobody really, really pays attention to the women's NIT. And my response was, in fairness, nobody pays attention to the men's NIT. I didn't even realize that the final was last night until I was flipping through the channels and I saw on ESPN that the game was on. And and that's the problem. Your hardcore fans, you sort of make that tournament less important because you put so much of a focus on the field of 64 or 68 as it is now. Well, well uh, uh, are you going to keep us in suspense? Who won? Who won what? The men's NIT. Oh, I have no idea. I didn't actually watch the game. <laughs> uh, yeah. I have to look it up. <laughs> I, had to put the, I had to put the baby to bed. <laughs> it's not like it was on early last night. Jeff, people have been watching the men's tournament, though, right? I mean, it, it, oh, yes. we talked about the ratings being up the so, week before. So this at, week, it continued. So coverage across, uh, this is from NCA.com. Coverage across TBS, CBS, TNT, and True TV. It's the third most watched in 24 years, averaging 9.8 million viewers, a 10% increase over last year. 10% increase is pretty impressive, uh, particularly when you're talking about when future advertising revenues that they would have for the tournament. If you're seeing an increase in your audience like that, you're in good shape. Last weekend's regional final games on Saturday and Sunday that had TBS and CBS up 11%. Uh, averaging 10.2 million viewers. And then Sunday's game, we were talking about the back-and-forth game with North Carolina and Kentucky. That was up 5% better than the game last year in that time slot with 15.5 million viewers. So 15 million people watched that Kentucky-North Carolina back-and-forth game. Not only are they watching, but people are watching advertisements. Yes. They're seeing a lot of advertisements. Can you guess how much has been spent in advertising. I have no clue. Billions. N- not quite, no, almost. Okay. Uh, nearly $750 million. Uh, according to iSpot yeah. TV, 2% more has been spent on advertising. So there's $748 million spent. That's from 224 brands advertising with 514 spots that aired 8,168 times. Hey, and, and can I say something? With regard, with regard to those commercials, the commercials with Charles Barkley, Spike Lee, th- those are better than any commercial that they ran during the Super Bowl. I enjoyed yeah, the one right. where he puts his sweatshirt on backwards and he's eating out of the hooded sweatshirt. The snack with the, Yeah, the snack <laughs> hoodie with the potato chips. That's definitely an idea for Shark Tank. It, totally. It's, yeah. it's going to happen. Jeff, the, you had some of the thoughts on the women's basketball too, right? Well, it, it's, uh, it's hard to find. I was just saying before the, uh, the, that the NIT uh, was barely covered, but the the women, the women's is doing well. Um, um, there was something else that, that you didn't say before about uh, NCAA March Madness Live. That's right. Generates all-time record 88 million live streams to date, which is an increase of 31% from last year. And I think that says as much about the interest in the tournament as it does the increase in mobile devices, uh, tablets, the ability for people to watch on the go wherever they are, unlimited data plans now so that you don't have to worry that when you're streaming it it's going to cost you extra money to do it 
I, I mean, I'll ask you guys, do you, do you watch on your phones? I mean, I watched a stream on my phone a couple different times. Yeah, I have before, particularly if you're at work during the day, it's great. And I think it No, go- no, at work, you're working. Oh, no, of course. <laughs> Don't tell people that. It's work to watch the game. That's part that's of it. Right. We okay. work on a show. So. That's right. That's right. <laughs> but, you know, it's... Jeff, have have you watched on your on your phone when you've been out? And- no, I am working. You're working, but, but I have watched at home on my laptop or my iPad, and as opposed to watching on television. But I do not watch on True TV anything. And I always I always wonder, does True TV go away after the tournament and it'll come back again? No, it actually it stays on. And the funny thing is, I forget every year what channel it is. And before they have like the opening two games that are held Tuesday and Wednesday night, I have to go through the guide every year and figure out which channel it is to know what to watch. I, I just it, they must get their highest ratings for this time of year. That I think they get knows. their only ratings. Their only games. ratings for this time of year. And and I'm sure if you uh, pulled out your cell phone and started watching the games while you were in court i'm sure the uh, everybody including the judge would really appreciate that either that or he'd bring me back into chambers if it was one of his teams or her teams uh, yeah. Oh, okay. yeah maybe they want to see the game with all these live streams on our phones and computers now i think it proves uh, jeff's point that like the world series used to be played during the day and potential for having more big uh, sporting events during the day because people can access it wherever. I don't know if you guys actually saw, we didn't even talk about this before the show, the NBC announced that the Olympics are going to be aired live this year. Yes. They're not going to be on tape delay. They're going to be in real time. And I think that's a reflection of this as well. The fact that people know the results so quickly now that it's actually hurting their viewership because people have seen a highlight before the show airs hours later. Because you get your news the second that it happens. I mean, in, in 1980, when the men's hockey team won the Olympics, a lot of people didn't know that they won that semifinal game against the Russians until it actually aired. Nowadays, that would never happen. Now, Nowadays, the, you would know if the ice wasn't good enough before they played the game. Right. You'd know in real time. You'd have pictures from the locker room. So it's a totally different media atmosphere. And I think it's NBC recognizing the reality that they have now that life is operating in real time and people are getting their information in sports and news that way too. So particularly because of the knockout format, I think it's very appealing to viewers to view in real time no matter what time of the day. And you see that with the Olympics and World Baseball Classic or these tournaments where it's essentially every game, almost every game is a knockout game. And the success that the tournament has had and its growth, I think is uh, sparking interest for the NBA and this is an idea that has been thrown around. I've seen it online rumored in that in European soccer, along with the season, you also have a cup tournament, which is essentially a knockout March Madness style tournament that occurs throughout the season. And it would be interesting, interesting to see if in the next 10 or 20 years, if the NBA adds a secondary competition along with the NBA finals regular throughout the regular season on certain weekends, you could have a knockout tournament uh, among all the NBA teams. Jeff, do you see the dollar signs? Uh, yeah, but mm-hmm. I, I see the dollar signs for the owners. The, they can't get the players to play but the it, 82 games that they play now. How are they <laughs> going to get these guys to play more games? Uh, James Harden is an anomaly because he's actually playing every game, but a lot of the stars now, especially when they hit 30, are playing 50 games a year, and every time they go on the road, they, they're sitting on the sidelines in a suit. I mean, that's a great point, and I think that's going to be an issue that's not going to go away for the NBA anytime soon. However, um, in terms of excitement and TV ratings and money, I think that that is something that's still in their minds. And even if it means that uh, 
superstar players are only going to play 70 games in the regular season. You know, if they add a, this side tournament, they can build some prestige around the FA Cup of basketball or whatever you want to call it. I just think that there's writing in the wall that we might see more knockout style tournaments along with our big four leagues, not for football or baseball, but potentially for basketball and hockey. I think it's a great idea, but you're going to have to shorten the NBA season, which is already way too long anyway. I just wonder whether traditionalists would go for it. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they get upset when you, you change the way you call a foul or, or pick a defense that you have in the game, and, and then all of a sudden now you're going to go to that change. So, well, Getting back to the NCAA for a minute, you, you, you put something into the uh, script here about uh, AT&T is the big spender so far. They are. Um, they are the largest advertiser. They've spent $31 million on advertising for the tournament. So we talk about the digital and the connectivity and mobile streaming. You see that reflected in the advertising there with AT&T and Samsung Mobile as two of the biggest five, along with Coca-Cola, Capital One, and Buick. Well, so I think the advertisers reflect what's going on in terms of people's desire to consume what that audience is. It's an audience that is looking for of a mobile aspect, I think. Well, it's also because AT&T is now part of, I think, DirecTV. So what better time to advertise than during a tournament when you can stream most of it on your phone? No doubt. No doubt. Jeff, why don't you take us to break and we'll mm. keep talking when we get back. Uh, you're listening to The Heart of Sports on 610 AM Sports. When we come back, we will talk about the Phillies and all the moves they've made this week. So stick around. We'll be right back. Let me tell you, buying or selling a home is a life-changing decision. Whether you're looking for your first home or searching for your forever home, Ann Coons is the realtor you need. In fact, she helped my wife and I settle into our forever home. With over 30 years helping satisfied clients buy and sell homes in the Delaware Valley, Ann Coons will give you the professional and reliable service you deserve. When it's time to buy or sell a home in South Jersey or Philadelphia, contact Ann Coons, the only name you need to know in real estate. You can call Ann Coons today at 856-795-4709. Again, that's 856-795-4709. Or learn more on the web at www.annkoonsrealestate.com. Are you looking for a lifeline? Verizon New Jersey Shares Communication Lifeline is a statewide nonprofit that provides assistance to individuals and families living in New Jersey, those who are in need of temporary help in paying their communication and energy bills. Want to know how to apply? All you need to do is call Verizon New Jersey Shares at 1-888-337-3339 or visit on the web at www.NewJerseyShares.org. It's quick and easy to sign up, but remember, you must be a Verizon Residential Landline customer to apply for eligible programs. That's Verizon New Jersey Shares, keeping the lines of communication open for you and your family. And we're back. This is the Heart of Sports on 610 AM. I'm Jeff Rutberg with Jason Springer, Ryan Strauss, and Jeffrey Cohen. Hey, don't, don't, don't forget that the Heart of Sports is moving to Saturdays at 1 PM starting next Saturday, April the 8th. And by the way, that is not an April Fool's joke. No, it is not. It is not an April Fool's joke. It's legitimate change. Hey, Jeff, um, since you're, you got an extra free day, you want to throw out the first pitch for the Washington Nationals? I yes. Hear, I hear they have an opening. For I would love day. to do that because President Trump 
uh, declined the invitation to throw out the first pitch Ryan? on opening day. Well, because he also declined to fill out a bracket for ESPN, which is something President Obama did. I'm, I'm guessing the USFL would have liked if he had declined to own a team there, too. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, any thoughts that uh, he, he, a scheduling conflict? What could be more important? Well, it depends. Golf. If, I mean, it, <laughs> look, I don't know what kind of an athlete is he is, and I have, I have larger concerns than, than whether he throws out the first pitch. But if it's not going to go well, it's better to not throw it out than have video of yourself bouncing the ball that they're going to replay a million times. He said he would reschedule. Just a side note. Along. Opening day? <laughs> well, they can't reschedule opening day, but uh, he'll reschedule the, the first pitch. Random side note along the line of presidents in baseball. Did you guys know that Woodrow Wilson was the first president to attend a World Series game, and that was in Philadelphia in 1915? Really? Not that that has anything to do with Donald Trump. I actually remember uh, 2001 when George Bush went to the Yankees World Series game in New York and after September 11th. I, remember, I have that memory. Well, he was, a, he was also game. a good baseball player in college. And he was an owner of a team. Yep. So, I mean, he cared about baseball. I'm not, I'm not terribly surprised he didn't uh, for Nationals fans. If they would like to boo or cheer him, hopefully he's able to reschedule for you. Uh, let's talk about the Phillies real fast. Guys, uh, they're going to come north from spring training. Season starts this coming week. Hope springs eternal, right? I'm loving it. At the beginning of every baseball season, does it brings hope. What does and it I, mean to you? Baseball. For, for me and my son, this is, this is a rite of passage into spring. Every year we go to opening day. We go a couple hours early. We walk around the park. There's a whole bunch of festivities outside. The team comes parading in from the outfield. And every year you have this sense that this is the beginning. They can do it. You want to be realistic about it, but at least for that first week, you can have the hope that your team is going to go to the World Series. It sounds like it's as much about the experience with your son as it is the opening day festivities, the family uh, nature and the memories you're making. For, for me, and I think for a lot of people, I think that's what's different about baseball than any other sport. It's, maybe it's the time of the year. It's the smells in the stadium. It's the sounds. It, it, it's everything about it. It's the experience of it. And I think that's what gets lost when people say that, that baseball's being passed by by other sports is it, it's something that, that everybody can do with their daughter or their son and, and just have those experiences and sit there and talk with them. And it's, you know, it, it is slower, but it's because of that slowness that you're able to create those memories. Jeff, what does baseball mean to you? You, you? you enjoy the baseball season. I know you're a bigger Eagles fan than you are Phillies, but are, do you get excited when the season starts? Yes. Will you go down to games with your family? or Not, your not until uh, the end of May or June. Okay. I've already set uh, twice. I've seen two baseball games in April and had my winter coat and hood and gloves on for both. Uh, it, it's kind of hard watching a baseball game when you're shivering. In the cold weather? It's, yeah, baseball it's a is a warm weather sport. I mean, yeah. I, I don't mind watching baseball in cold weather if it's October baseball. But right, yeah. <laughs> I don't mind that either. In November right. now. <laughs> yeah, in I don't, November, I don't right. really want to watch May baseball when it's very cold out, but it, it, it does give for some fun family opportunities. You go down there with your daughter. You go down there with... Yeah, we with, usually go... Go yeah, with friends. Go with, go, uh, go with my wife. She likes baseball. Yeah. My daughter does. Friends like baseball, but... but when we're comfortable, not in the rain and not in the snow and, and not in the cold weather. And I mean, we talk about that a lot on the show, the impact that sports has on society and families. And I think that a lot of memories are made by people going to events and games together. Some of my favorite memories are of going to games with my parents or with my friends or with my family, my brother. 
depends who it is, but it's it's always something that I remember separate from the idea of the sport itself. Definitely, and Jeffrey touched on the generational component. I mean, baseball is America's pastime. It's the oldest league by far, way older than the NFL, like 30 years older than the NFL, NHL, NBA. And because of the amount of games there are, I think it's unique in that um, you really build a relationship with the players, that you can see their face, um, there's 162 games. There's a game every day. So you kind of get into a rhythm of exposure to the games and the players. And unlike other sports, whether you're, you win or don't, it's not as much about the record. You know, the Phillies have won 73 games or so the last five years, and, and people still will casually watch don't, most of the games. Don't remind me. Yeah, but to, see, Ryan's point about building a relationship over a long season that's, that's part of what baseball does. And, and if you want to go farther than that, I mean, not everybody's as crazy as me and my son, but we go to minor league games. So our relationship with those players dates back to them getting out of high school and watching them. We, we are lucky in this region that we can go to Lakewood an hour away. We can go to Reading. We can go to AAA and Lehigh Valley, and we can watch these players grow up before our eyes and then root for them to get to the majors just like what happened to Brock, Sp- Brock I Stasi. I don't agree with you, uh, uh, Ryan, there regarding uh, recognizing the faces. I mean, I don't know these players even after the game without their uniform on and their number on. I don't, I don't know who they are. But is that a product of them not being more available? You not paying attention? Is it a combination of all of them? I think that it, uh, hockey, they don't necessarily have a, a shield covering their face. Basketball is more individual branding in general. Football, they have their helmets on, so you don't see the face. Baseball, they've got a helmet on. I mean, I actually, I, I'm always interested in the people who are now wearing the larger helmets because of the concussions and things like that, and the people who aren't as that comes it's, about. It's uh, not not available when when I was a kid, and we would uh, uh, wait outside the uh, locker room door for the Eagles. They would come out. You can get a an autographed picture of them. And they would talk to you. Nowadays, uh, unless you're going to pay big money for that, you you can't get that. So, that, yeah, I think it's, do you, it's less available. Do you forgive them at all for thinking that the person getting the autograph is just going to go sell it so they don't want to stand there and sign as long? Or do you believe that that's not something that they should consider as an athlete? They should just stand there and sign for the people that are waiting. Well, it, it, the whole thing with memorabilia is, is completely different from the way it was 50 years ago. So, um, no, I don't... Uh, uh, I'm sorry that doesn't happen anymore, but I can understand why it does. Well, I think it does. Well, first of all, it happens if you go to the minor leagues. But even with the minor leagues, there are people that show up at the field with a binder full of baseball cards, literally in a binder, alphabetical order, and then hand it to a player. And, and they're very accommodating, but they will sit there and sign nine of them. And there's nine little kids who it will actually mean something to. These guys just store them until they hope that these guys become a star. And, you know, people like Ryan Howard used to get criticized. You know, Ryan, remember Ryan Howard? Yeah, I remember yeah. him, yeah. <laughs> Jeff's going to miss talking about him this well, year on the he's, show. He's on, still unemployed. Yeah, but, but I, can tell, I can tell you, he was a class act because what he did was that when he would come over after he would stretch, because there were a couple times we would sit like in the front row right on first base side, and he would come over and he would immediately look down. And he would only sign something if a kid handed it to him. If an adult even wanted to hand it to him for their child, he would say, I'm sorry. And he would take a lot of abuse. People would curse. They would say nasty things. And, and what he was doing was the right thing. Th- that's what baseball is about. It's about kids, kids sure. and them growing up to have these memories, not about somebody who needs just one more autograph 
so they can sell it for 20 bucks on eBay. And that's why baseball lost a lot of kids, lost a lot of uh, viewers, because the kids are going to sleep by the time they come on in the evening. You know who does it right is, is if you go to a, a golf tournament now, they actually have like an, an area pen where they will only let kids in so that the players go over and they will sign for the kids so they don't have to deal with the adults. And I think that that's something that other sports are going to have to find a way to do right. as opposed to just turning everybody away. You don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. What you right. want is you want to be able to do something so that the kids have something. Because a kid – if you, wait, wait, Jason, wait till your kid's a little bit older. And the first time a, a baseball player signs something – And the smile on their face And afterwards. the look in the car on the way home. I can, I can tell you just very quickly, a memory from my son was – my son was – Four, and we went to a game and he was standing up close and Chase Utley just walked over to him. He wasn't looking for an autograph. And Chase Utley walked over, took his mitt out of his hand and just signed it. And and my son just stared at this mitt and had this smile on his face but had this look of worry. And I said, what's the matter? And he said, I have a game tomorrow. What am I going to use? <laughs> but but that, that has sat in a glass case in his room that he looks at to this day and he's now 14. And he remembers the experience with you of getting it, and you remember the experience of seeing his face. That's the, the beauty of sports is that it's much more than the balls and strikes and the, the wins and losses. Yes, we will talk about that as fans. Um, unfortunately, as Phillies fans, we try and focus less on the wins and losses because of recent history. Yeah, but let's focus on the players that are about to come up and start the season and bring us our so next So let's World talk series. about what's going on with the team that's coming up north um, what are your guys' thoughts about what's going to happen with who they're bringing? What surprised you, other than Brock Stassi, who you mentioned briefly, uh, your, one of your son's favorite players? Uh, Bro- Brock Stassi was a 33rd round draft pick, signed for, I think, $1,000. And played in the minor league for six years. Yep, and he's 27 years old, and he was almost out of baseball in 2015, and he went home and he changed his swing and became the MVP of Double of A that year. And last year he moved to AAA, and this year he had an amazing spring. And I don't know if anybody saw the video, uh, but yes, it was so touching and so real to see that a guy has, has struggled for a long time to realize a dream that he's had probably since he's four years old because his brother's actually in the major leagues. He plays for the Astros. And to see the look on his face when McKinnon walked up to him and said, what number do you want? I thought that was a great way that McKinnon did it. And the emotion that he showed was fantastic. If I remember correctly, though, uh, Chris Coast, the uh, catcher, catcher, he was a little older. He was 29, I think, when he came up. It's sort of a similar story. You you toil in the minors and Mm -hmm. try and get better. You, You have to root for somebody like that. And I hope he's able to continue the numbers that he's put up in the preseason because, I mean, he's earned a spot on this roster there was no intent of this team to keep right. him in a roster spot you know brock stassi is only 26 years old and he's all, so you have stassi as a lefty altair also a lefty and then nava is also a lefty so when i think it came down to the last bench spot i think it was between coglin and stassi um you have nava's 34 years old coglin is 31 and stassi is still only 26 so it does look like he might still have some promise. Hopefully he can prove himself as a first baseman along with outfielder. And looking at his stats, his numbers really have jumped up a lot from 2015 onward. He played really well in the Venezuelan Winter Leagues this year, had a great spring, and I think we'll be able to see him work a lot of walks. Uh, his on-base percentage is pretty consistently about 100%, 100% uh, 
100 points above his batting average. I know Jeff loves that. But it's Jeff, it's good. It'll show discipline at the plate. Jeff but it loves also, statistics. But it also shows assets because because <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, I just had to throw that in because now you have you have three guys that that you can hope one of them hits it big. You got Tommy Joseph, who was a converted catcher, who who did really well in a platoon last year. You got Brock Stasi, who's done really well in spring training, and yeah, you have a guy at AAA, Reese Hoskins, who hit I think forty home runs or close to forty home runs last year. And you, you hope that by build, getting that farm system, which has greatly improved from a couple of years ago when everybody was screaming that there was nothing left down there, that they, that they rebuilt that. And now you have some assets that you hope that at each of these positions that you're going to have a stud. Well, I, I'm sorry that they let uh, Peter Borges go. I liked him. Oh. <laughs> P- Peter Borges has been around for way too long, hitting 240. He's fast. He could field a little bit, but he is what he is. He and he's not a guy that the Phillies are going to build with. Well, that's true. Do we need to be worried about Aaron Nola? He got yes. shelled in his last no. outing. Yes. His arm is hurt. No, I, I I think the opposite. I think that it takes a while to get back to it. They said that his velocity is back up, and he's a finesse pitcher. And finesse pitcher requires feel. And and sometimes it takes those guys a little longer. If his velocity's up, I'm not worried about his arm. I'm worried that he might have a four ERA going into into May. But let him try to come around. He's not the guy I'm really worried about. Who are about. you? You're worried about another pitcher. I'm worried aren't about you? Clay Buckholtz because he has looked awful in every start this spring. And and he's one of those guys that from the time he came up, he was supposed to be a star, and he has never realized his potential. I think so, when you look at the rotation this year, you have a lot of just. I mean, Buckholz obviously is a veteran, and so is Helks, and he's pretty consistent. But it's unproven guys. I mean, last year we saw some nice flashes. Uh, Velasquez and Eikhoff had a pretty good year overall. But I think they are still have a lot to prove. And if this team is going to get to 500, which, again, is kind of the goal, it seems, they're going to all have to have really nice years. And I think it's a stretch a little bit to expect that, given their experience. Well, how about pitching now? Uh, Adam Morgan, who who really didn't do well last year, he's going to be in the bullpen this year. He'll be their long reliever. Okay, that's yeah. good. So, well, and Nair, he's a lefty, Nair's, and I and he's yeah. done well this he's done well this spring in that role. All right, so, so Hector Neris will be also a middle. He'll middle be he'll be right? he'll. I think he's going to end up by the closer by June. All right, and how about Jolie uh, Rodriguez? What is he? Middle, uh, he'll be a middle relief middle guy, relief another guy. lefty. Okay. So how do you feel if you're looking at the Phillies' starting rotation and bullpen? How do you feel going into the season? I think the bullpen's going to be really good. Okay. I, I think that they got a lot of diversity there, a lot of different kinds of pitchers, which is always nice. They got a couple lefties that have some velocity, so I think that their bullpen's going to be nice. As Ryan said, it's going to be a question of whether or not the guys that are in the rotation now are going to be in the rotation come August. So you're saying we may need a good bullpen. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, or there's yeah. going to be some guys. In the, look, there were some guys that came up at the end of last year that are going back to play to get some seasoning at AAA, and they may, they may be able to take those positions away. So is Rodriguez the other lefty in the bullpen? Yeah. Cool. Uh, thoughts on Franco. Is he going to make a jump this year to the next level, or do you think his where he is is kind of where he's well, going to be? Mike Schmidt said that he should be in the MVP conversation that, That's this what year. prompts me to ask you about that, because I saw that, and I couldn't tell whether that was Homer Mike Schmidt or third baseman, all-star, um, Hall of Famer Mike Schmidt I don't know. He doing wasn't, an analysis. He, he wasn't that effusive in his praise when Scott Rowland was here. But, Nobody was in there. But, 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 th- but I do th- I do think that Franco has a chance to be a 30-35 home run guy, and it'll be interesting to see if Michael Saunders plays well 
and hits 20 home runs this year. It'll be nice to have somebody behind him and then somebody in front of him, whether it be Tommy Joseph or Kendrick, that will be able to provide some protection so he doesn't get curveballs the entire time he's up there. And they traded uh, Alec Asher. The uh, next Nolan Ryan, next, huh? Yeah, that's right, to the Baltimore Orioles for a player to be named later. It's like a surprise package. This. All right, so Jeff Cohen, um, this is a learning experience for you. Um, Jeff Rupperg picks a player that he likes <laughs> on a team, and then when the team does not recognize the talent that he does, he's very disappointed in said team. So you've walked into a player that, that Jeff has been looking out for. A- Alec Asher was the fifth guy in the trade right, for, for, Hamels. Col- for Hamels. He is a guy that had Tommy John surgery when he was 14 years old because oh he was God. pitching on three teams and apparently blew out his arm because he was pitching too much. He's one. I could go into the whole parent thing again, but the, he's he's the example of a kid not protected in my mind. And, and, and Alec Asher is also the guy last year who got caught with PEDs. Right. I wouldn't worry about letting go of the next Nolan Ryan. Jeff, well, you okay with letting go? Well, yes. I don't want him to become like a Ryan Sandberg who becomes an all-star. He's a throw-in, becomes an all-star, and, and he's in the whole He won't thing. be an all-star second baseman, don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> so I think with Franco and Herrera, you've kind of seen where they're going to be for the most part. I don't see either of them progressing too much. I think they'll both be serviceable pieces in their lineup. But I think that Tommy Joseph and Cesar Hernandez will continue to impress people and uh, take that next step forward a little bit. I mean, Hernandez had a great year last year statistically. I think we'll see a little bit better defense from him, hopefully. And um, I think collectively the Phillies, now with some of the additions, won't be last in baseball and offense. With uh, In the last segment, we're going to talk a little Sixers uh, as normal with uh, the trust or lack thereof in the process. How do you guys feel about the management for the Phillies now? Uh, I, I feel more comfortable with Klintek at GM uh, in terms of the stability that he's brought, and he seems to have a plan for what he's looking for and the types of players that, that want to play in, in his style of team. Uh, thoughts on that? I think he shows logic. I think he shows confidence. I think he shows uh, ba- baseball acumen, and I, th- I think that with with him and McKenna who McKinnon who's a little older and having the sta- the experienced staff that he has I think that they're going in the right direction. I agree. I think the Phillies actually had a much better offseason than most people around here would acknowledge. I mean, they didn't break the bank for anyone. They didn't sign anyone to long contracts and they actually brought in some serviceable veterans that will really help. So, I feel a lot better with contact. Yeah, I like I like their man- management now, and I like the manager McKinnon. So, is the Phillies management the team that we feel most comfortable with in the city? <laughs> right <laughs> Maybe, <now>? yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you, you right, know, there's I questions so. about Howie Roseman's drafting from people. You can be on both sides of that. Some people want to know what Ron Hextall's doing with the Flyers, even though I think he's looking more in the longer term with his young players. And goalies. You've got the Sixers who can't figure out when somebody's too hurt to get up or not. Right. So, it, I mean, the, the Flyers, of, if they still play here, I can't remember or not. <laughs> we'll talk about them briefly in the last segment. Go ahead, Jeff. All right. You're listening to The Heart of Sports on 610 AM Sports. Time for us to t- head to a break. When we return, we're going to talk about the Raiders' move to Las Vegas and the recent Eagles move, so stay right here. Let me tell you, buying or selling a home is a life-changing decision. Whether you're looking for your first home or searching for your forever home, Ann Coons is the realtor you need. In fact, she helped my wife and I settle into our forever home. With over 30 years helping satisfied clients buy and sell homes in the Delaware Valley, Ann Coons will give you the professional and reliable service you deserve. 
When it's time to buy or sell a home in South Jersey or Philadelphia, contact Ann Coons, the only name you need to know in real estate. You can call Ann Coons today at 856-795-4709. Again, that's 856-795-4709. Or learn more on the web at www.annkoonsrealestate.com. Are you looking for a lifeline? Verizon New Jersey Shares Communication Lifeline is a statewide nonprofit that provides assistance to individuals and families living in New Jersey, those who are in need of temporary help in paying their communication and energy bills. Want to know how to apply? All you need to do is call Verizon New Jersey Shares at 1-888-337-3339 or visit on the web at www.newjerseyshares.org. It's quick and easy to sign up, but remember, you must be a Verizon residential landline customer to apply for eligible programs. That's Verizon New Jersey Shares, keeping the lines of communication open for you and your family. And we're back. You're listening to The Heart of Sports on 610 AM. I'm Jeff Rutberg with Jason Springer, Ryan Strauss, and Jeffrey Cohen. Don't forget again that The Heart of Sports is moving to Saturdays, 1 p.m., starting next Saturday, April 8th. And we mentioned that we're not the only ones moving in the first segment. The Oakland Raiders are moving. Nope, it's not the Oakland Raiders anymore. No, they're no longer the Oakland Raiders. Who are they now? They're just Raider Nation. <laughs> Raider Nation. <laughs> Who are the Raiders, Jeff? W- well, I believe in three years they're the Vegas Raiders. In the meantime, they could be Vegas, San Francisco, San Antonio. Who knows where they're going to be playing? Okay, so explain this to me. The Raiders have a great fan base. They seem to be a team on the rise, and they are leaving their home. What happened? Uh, I... I understand that the Raiders owner is not the wealthiest of owners and could not afford to put up the money for the stadium himself. And Oakland is not the wealthiest of areas and has had trouble for years building stadiums both for the A's and for the Raiders. So they were looking. Davis talked to San Antonio. He talked to Vegas. There were suggestions that the Raiders would be moving as the second team to L.A. And lo and behold, he ended up uh, with a vote of 30 to 1, the Dolphins the only one voting against it, to move to Vegas. Is that a good thing? No, it's never a good thing. Why not? Be- because you did have a, you had a fan base. You have people that have grown up rooting for the team. There is something to uh, building a city's morale in having sports teams. And it's just another example of own- greedy owners holding cities hostage that, for money that they could be using for, for public you know, public interest. In fact, the owner of the the Vegas hockey team, the Vegas Golden Knights, who used his own money, $500 million to get the team and used private funds in order to build their arena, was critical of, of the Raiders. The Raiders are going to come here and spend, I think, over a billion. I think the stadium's going to be $1.9 billion or something ridiculous like that. And a lot of that is going to be public funding, which could be used for firefighters and police and education and roads and, and all sorts of things and, other than a stadium that's going to get used eight to ten times a year. And this right. is an issue that Jeff Rupberg has asked about um, in Philly where they have a box and they've funded the stadium and yet they have problems funding their schools. I know, right. Jeff, yeah. this is something that concerns you in terms right. of public dollars being used to, to subsidize corporate entities. Uh, are we 
are we making too much of it? Should Is there a benefit to the money that's invested when the city invests there, do you think? Yes, yes, because, no, I don't, well, in, in Philadelphia, they rent the box out, uh, but m- more than that, it's uh, all the money that's spent in Philadelphia while the season is going on. Is it, though? It's I mean, a, people come down to the stadium area, there's Xfinity Live, there's not much else to do down there, they pay the toll to come over, they go in and out. And I mean, it, how many times do you go downtown after going to an Eagles game? Oh, I don't. I go downtown to get my car, but... <laughs> but not. But do you go shopping downtown? Uh, yeah, but not on. Not necessarily on that day. On that day. But if, if the economic uh, deficit, if the Eagles would move, and, and remember when Len Toes owned, owned the team, they were going to. Where were they going to move to? Um, L.A. L.A., LA. Wh- yeah. which, which at least we no longer have that. But yeah. there are now two teams in L.A., and, and for years people thought that the NFL was happy with the fact that nobody was actually in L.A. because every other owner could get a new stadium by threatening to leave so that people would spend public funds, just like Philadelphia did, but, in, order, in order to keep them here. Well, now they can't go. Well, I think this is a example of why the European model uses promotion relegation. In that, if you want a new team, you would have to earn your way up through promotion. Not not saying that we're ever going to have that in the U.S., particularly in the NFL. But I think it just goes to show that if you have a model where team, the owner, under a centralized league, can just move the team wherever they want, it takes away from that. It enables for them to hold the city hostage, to use public funds for a new stadium, to get to threaten to get a new stadium anytime they want, versus if they couldn't... Uh, move essentially and other cities had to earn that right it would yeah. be different isn't that that's where antitrust legislation and the uh, the exemption yeah, well, why, no, there's why there. are they allowed to move is there there's no i mean if they were let's say that they were i, I assume there aren't personal seat licenses at the oakland coliseum there probably aren't point. so they wouldn't have any recourse as fans for a team leaving, correct? Well, there's also, I mean, if you look at the back of a ticket, there's all sorts of clauses in there that, that give them disclaimers for all sorts of things. That, so basically, your ticket doesn't mean read anything. the back of a ticket? Well, you're a lawyer. You probably read the back of the ticket. <laughs> but have you guys read the back of the ticket? I went uh, to get, like, free sometimes. coupons from Odell's on the fire tickets. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah right. I, I'm guilty. I don't read the back of the ticket that much. A- so. any, any, and even if you were successful, which I doubt you're going to be, but if you're a season ticket holder and you oh, were I'm successful. Oh, I'm not going to be successful. Thank you. No, in filing a lawsuit, if let's say you win. Okay, fine. What, do you, what are your damages? That you don't get to see your team. I get a seat at okay, the new well, stadium. Well, in the meantime, they're making a billion dollars by moving. I don't think that's going to deter anybody from moving. Right. right. I, I have a personal seat license, and basically it... It entitles me to buy the tickets, right? But and that's it because so, if, so you uh, could still go feel, to the stadium even if the Eagles left. You could buy the yeah, tickets yeah, to the stadium, well, whatever. No, uh, no, only to the Eagles. I, to the I will bet you that the, that they're saying to the rate the Oakland fans: if you want to buy a season ticket to Vegas, you'll have the first shot of doing yeah, it. Yeah, well, they're going to give them a shuttle out there right. to to go to the game. I mean, that's pretty hard for them. So the threat for years was: well, a team will move to L.A. Is the threat now that a team will move to St. Louis? I guess that's yeah, that's the next right. place. Well, well, think about it. You had the, you had years ago in the middle of the night in a Mayflower van, the Baltimore Colts picked up and moved to Indianapolis. Then what happened? Then the Cleveland people picked up and moved to Baltimore, and then and then Cleveland got a team. So the NFL just kept making money by all the moves. They'll find a different way. It's just there's less of a threat. L.A. was the big threat. 
it's interesting that baseball set a historical precedence for this by having teams relocate so much on the even in the first half of the 20th century but now um you have you know new stadiums you have these owners that are so interested and really um i i think that the, the having 32 teams in the nfl has kind of capped how many uh you're having more teams move. You have third te- the third football team that has relocated now. Whereas in baseball, you still have 30 teams, 15 in each league. Major League Baseball is probably going to expand to 32. In the NFL and NHL, and I'm sorry, in the NBA and NHL, they still have 30, 30 teams, soon to be 31 in the NHL. But in the NFL, they can't expand beyond 32 because it would just completely throw a wrench in the scheduling. So I think that 32 is almost a natural cap for these leagues and that it incentivizes relocation. Well, ba- baseball, we now have a situation where, once again, Montreal's trying to get a team. So I that was to, another one. I used left. to love watching the Montreal you know, I went, when they had, like, the year in 95 of the strike when their team was, like, really good and they had Pedro Martinez, Young, and all those, all those guys who went on to be, like, stars. <laughs> now there's just nothing. I don't, I don't know how nobody went to those games because I actually went to a spring training game at the Olympic Stadium last year between the Blue Jays, I think, and the Red Sox. It was sold out. They had all their stars back, and they're they're making a push to actually get a team. I read today that uh, the commissioner is actually going to go up there and talk to them again. They're having a game tomorrow again. The spring they do it every year. Yeah. So what would you do if you were a Raiders fan? They're going to be playing in Oakland for the yeah. next two years. Two years yeah. at least. Would you go? Maybe. Would you Would you keep going? No. Yes. I, well, I would because uh, it's better than nothing. So I go. Ryan, would you go? I would go, but I mean, I think it's hard to say what you would do until that actually happened. Like, if the Eagles were to move, I can't even imagine what the city would become. Well, I I would go, and I might root for the other teams. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> and boo, well, I boo the Eagles now. So that's a lot. Of, that's, a, that's a lot. That's a lot of money to go spend and root for the other team. But, Jeff, uh, Jeffrey, would you still go down to? No, games? I would not. I, See, I, I can tell you, unlike everybody else at this table, I grew up. Uh, one of my favorite teams was the San Diego Chargers. The second they announced they were moving to L.A. after rooting for them for over 40 years, I'm not rooting for them anymore. And I don't even live in San Diego. So you're done. I'm done. You just can't. Because you feel like they broke faith with the city or the fan base or all of the above? I actually identify teams with cities. I think that that's it's part of it's part of their culture. And I I think that they're they're ripping it apart for owners. And it's no longer about that. It's not the San Diego Chargers. It, it's the owner Chargers, Spanos. All right. So we've got Oakland moving, and we've got the NFL this week outlawing jumping over the center on kickoffs. This is a rule proposed by the Eagles, actually. Uh, Dave Fitt proposed it so that you cannot jump over the line to block the football. Not we on kickoffs, on, on, on field goals. Also on extra points as well? Yeah. Yes. Cool. Yeah, so you you have to actually go around and dive like they used to because or, they didn't have super athletes that could go go gadget <laughs> right. legs and hop over the line. Are you still allowed to yell boo? I, I don't know what you're allowed mm. to do anymore in this league. Is this a good move for the NFL? Doesn't matter. I don't think it matters. You don't care enough. No, I don't. No. I don't think this is one that's going to matter. It one does way or the seem other. like they talked a little bit about speeding up the game. I heard uh, Roger Goodell on TV talking about uh, how they recognize when they have situations where. They have kickoff, go to commercial, 
uh, a play, go to commercial, come back, and there's a challenge, they recognize that that amount of time is not ideal for them. So it seems like they're trying to find solutions for, I don't know whether they'll do what soccer does, having advertisers on the screen during the game. I don't know if they'll do what uh, racing does, where they go box in box, where you can still see the action while the ads air. But it seems like the NFL is looking into ways to try and make the viewing experience at home less painful. That will not... The, the rules that they've proposed are not going to speed things up. You want to speed things up, have a 15-second clock instead of 30 or 40 seconds. They can't even play. get the plays in when they do. Get moving. Andy Reid would never be able to function with a 15-second <laughs> clock. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> he, right. he would not be able to do anything. It, it just... I don't understand some of what the NFL is doing. They didn't make the overtime uh, change that we talked about last week, so we don't have to worry about 10-minute overtimes. How, how about in hockey when they uh, icing? Hockey? They, they will, yeah, they'll, they'll, they'll actually stop. They, you don't have to, in, in, or at least in college. And that was a change like, a few years yeah, ago the in the pros. In the pros, too. So, so with, with football, with this extra point, if you can't jump over, you can't, it's going to make it difficult to block the uh, extra point. So extra points will become automatic again. Well, well, I think why? that's a good thing. It's like because last year you had too many teams manip- like taking advantage of this, uh, just jumping over the center, and you had weeks where there were like 10-plus extra points missed. I think that that actually throws off the games too much. What, what, is, what is the NFL's obsession with every change that they make having to do with kicking? Yeah, it doesn't change. Yeah. They, they, they change where you kick off from so that people would run in. Then it was you kicked off further. Then it was where the ball got placed if it was a touchback. Then it was moving the, the extra point back, and now it's this. What is the NFL's obsession with kicking? I don't know. But That's not changing anything. It, right. And wouldn't it be better, more exciting, if then they did away with the extra point kick and they, everybody had to go for two points. I, I'd sign on for that. I mean, I think that you're going to see missed, missed extra points and missed field goals anyway just because of the distance still. I, I think that was a large contribution to the increase in missed kicks last year. Jumping over the line, we'll see if it changes. Uh, let's, let's turn to the Eagles real fast. Uh, Chase Daniel signed with the Saints. Do you know that the Eagles are going to pay the majority of his salary next season? <laughs> For, to play for the Saints? Yeah. No, to, to, hold a, he to signed, hold a clipboard. He signed, like, lower than a veteran minimum contract, and the Eagles will be responsible for, like, $5 million okay. on the on the cap next year for it. Didn't he play with Drew B- Brees before? He was in he was in New Orleans before, before he went to Kansas City. Okay. They wanted to keep him, and Andy Reid signed him before they had Alex Smith okay. at the time. That was sort of the history with that. How about uh, Howie Long? Uh, the not how Howie Long Chris sung. Long. So yeah, Chris, Chris Long, Long is now a 32-year-old defensive end, uh, played for the Patriots last year, You know, has some Super Bowl experience, had two and a half sacks last year. Which right. is the same as uh, what uh, Fletcher Cox had, I guess, well, and Benny Logan. You would think he replaces Connor Barwin, actually, right. in terms of for a lot less money, you now have another defensive end in your scheme to come off the edge with – with Curry and, and your other players. I'd rather have Howie Long even at this point. Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, I would too, yeah. They, How about Patrick Robinson? Is he going to be any better than uh, Nolan Carroll? And, uh, can he be much worse? No, I hope not. But So are these Band-Aids? Yes. Because yes. Howie, Reed, Howie Roseman says – Howie Reed. <laughs> it's like a monster Muslim, of Andy yeah, and Howie. Yeah, yeah. Howie <laughs> Roseman says there are no more Band-Aids, that this is – that they're looking for long-term solutions and that these moves aren't that. Do you guys agree? None, none of those are long-term moves. 
Which one of the ones you just stated is a long-term move? One, I, I right. don't believe. Yeah. I think it's a little bit of experience. I think that they're they're getting the cornerbacks so that when they draft young cornerbacks, they can get a little time to learn before they throw them in there on the first game. Patrick Chung and Nandi uh, Asamoah. I mean, they didn't do well in Philadelphia, right? Chung, although, played with the uh, New England Patriots and uh, won the Super Bowl. With Eric Rowe. Yeah, right. There's my weekly Eric Rowe mention. <laughs> Had to get it in there, guys. You love that one. Yeah. I do. I will never uh, live that one down. Okay, Sixers time. <laughs> I have a suggestion for the Sixers. You uh, do? Yes. Last year they had the number one overall pick, right? And they got somebody who's hurt. So it really doesn't make that's, any difference. That's three of the last four years. Yeah, but so they, they don't need to have a very high pick. So it doesn't matter whether they're picking third or 23rd. If they're picking 23rd, they could – they could ex- uh, trade that for uh, more seconds and thirds, get more McConnells and uh, no. Covingtons. No. And they do better with, the, with <laughs> those guys. And then with Embiid and, and Simmons and Sarich, they should have a very good team next year. Here's, here's what they should do. They should I, hire a PR director <laughs> instead. Because I'll, t- I'll tell you right now, if the Sixers are listening to this, they should know. I actually was going to buy season tickets this year. I talked to the office several times about doing it. And I got tired of listening to all this is Embiid injured? Is he not injured? And all of a sudden, I was getting a high-pressure car salesman sale that I had to do it that week. And I said, no, I'm going to wait. And I waited, and then lo and behold— Simmons was out. No, Embiid was Embiid out was for it. the rest of the season, and I'm not doing it because it's not that I don't trust the process anymore. I don't trust anybody above the players. The players have worked their butts off and have played really well this year and, and have gone above expectations— but the front office is way below expectations. Well, I saw Sam Hinkie's trying to maybe come back with Sacramento, so you can God go help the Sacramento, Sacramento Kings. That's ironic. It, well, is it is it funny? After Will he have anything trade. left that that he get, didn't we didn't he get all of Sacramento's <laughs> picks here, and then he would be in Sacramento? Well, I mean, they yeah, they did lose two first round picks, but at least the cupboard is already bare in Sacramento, and he can just. Uh, let the team be really bad like he did here and just build it up from nothing. I mean, the NBA, I think we've seen, you can't just be stuck in that, as Joey called it, uh, purgatory, the middle ground. So who knows if he'll take that job or not. Well, hopefully we'll see where the Sixers are stuck next year. Guys, last comments before we finish up? I hope the Phillies uh, finish at least uh, 500. That would be fun, Jeff. Opening day is just around the corner, and it's got a smile. You'll on my be face. down there, Ryan. Flyers are still playing hockey. Let's see a playoff <laughs> push, hopefully. <laughs> That's our weekly Flyers mention on the show. Yeah. Uh, I'm looking out for March Madness this weekend. Championship game Monday night. April Madness. Uh, yeah, April <laughs> Madness. Now, uh, thank you everybody for joining us this week on the Heart of Sports. Make sure to join us at our new time next week, next Saturday at 1 p.m. Thanks everybody for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye bye. Bye bye.